Well, those songs all gave us, especially the first and the last that we sing there, gave us a spirit of what we need to have when we're faced with trials and tribulations and very difficult things, difficult people, difficult circumstances, and the unexpected. You know, we we think to a certain extent we're prepared. We know the teachings of God's word. I think a first and second Peter coming to mind and talking about suffering. And we expect that there's going to be suffering involved in this Christian life. And I'm sure David expected that too. But sometimes we don't expect the ways in which that comes. Um, David, and as we talked two weeks ago, and again, thanks to Sandy for filling in last week. I do appreciate that. But um, we, we are in, we're getting ready to, in fact, you can turn to 1 Samuel 24. And we saw the last time we were together with you, kind of a week in the life, what it's like to be on the run with David. I hope you at this point in his life, they had that one incident where he, in panic, ran to the Philistines and then realized this was not my brightest hour. And the Lord saved him from that in the Lord's grace. And David now, every step, he's seeking God's will. And he has a full capability to do that. Saul has ceased or ended any opportunity that he has to have a word from God. Of course, that awful, awful story of the priests and the whole village of Nob being annihilated in Saul's anger. Puts him right up there with Pharaoh and some of the other tyrants. Saul cut off all communication from God, but David has multiple communication with the priests that escaped. Um, Ahimelech, or not, not Ahimelech, excuse me, but um, his son. Um, and... Also, then the prophet Gad, um, and so he has he has access to what God would have him to do. And the first, one of the things that God has told him to do is you continue to attack and pursue Israel's enemies because King Saul won't do that. King Saul's too busy pursuing you; he's not doing his job. So, David, you're going to do his job in his stead. You are the future king, and so he um, sends David over to the eastern part of Israel to deal with the Philistines. David does so, and this is now a common theme, where David will, will pick up the slack for Saul. But then, unfortunately, another aspect of his life on the run is constant betrayal. The very people that he saved, it seems, betrayed him to Saul. And then eventually, in the town, the village of Ziph, the Ziphites do the same thing. And we saw that at the end of our study last time, and how they gave they let Saul know where David was. And it kind of, it got exciting there at the end because it got to a point where Saul and his men were on the side, one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other. And Saul sent his men around both sides. So there really was no way to go at that point. And David was surrounded. His men were surrounded. And then all of a sudden, God just sends a messenger to Saul and says, hey, got some trouble with the Philistines. We need you back doing your job, King Saul. King Saul calls all the men back in the nick of time, goes to deal with the Philistines, and David is able to escape because God is with David. 
and God's protecting him. It's not always comfortable, though, is it? God never promised us a comfortable existence following him, but he does promise his presence and his deliverance, and we can count on that. So David's not comfortable. This whole life on the run and, on the, and, and also in the midst of all that, it's, it's a constant thing where Saul is pursuing him here and then pursuing him here, and it's almost like he's one step ahead of King Saul, and yet God is still preserving him. And that's what life is like for David right now. He wouldn't have chose this. He wouldn't have ever expected that this is what it would mean to be a faithful follower. This was not his expectations, but he's not bitter, is he? In fact, let's look at, let's see here. Um, Let's look at Psalm 54. This is the psalm that David wrote after his experience with these Ziphites giving him up, Saul. And it says there, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? They gave him up. And yet, listen to David's response in this. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. And I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph upon my enemies. David is now confident. And he noticed the aspect of worship at the end of this as well, the psalm. In the midst of being pursued and portrayed and all the uncomfortableness, so to speak, that he's going through, he says, I'm ready to worship you, Lord. I'm ready to do because I know you're going to deliver me. I know that. And he has help. He's had encouragement from Jonathan, from the prophets from the priests as well, and others, and even Samuel himself. So, as we get to this next aspect of this story, we're going to see David is ready, and David really has a response of wonderful wisdom in a very very critical moment where God puts David to the test. In a, in a unique way. Um, and we're going to see that tonight in 1 Samuel 24. Now, I got my map here. I didn't want to spring and put the, the screen up because there's only one thing we need to make you aware of. David has now, it seems, moved closer to the Dead Sea in a place near En Gedi. And Saul is going to return from the Philistines, fighting the Philistines, and he's going to find David here near En Gedi. This is where all of this takes place. So now David is near the Dead Sea. He's kind of all over at different times. Now he's near the Dead Sea. So verse 1 of chapter 24, when Saul returned from following or pursuing really the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. I just showed you where that is. So Saul, it almost has the idea of, of Saul quickly trying to take care of this Philistine problem so he can get back to what he really wants to do, what his real problem is, and that is hunt David. That's what he wants. And so he fulfills his duty with the Philistines. We're not really told anything that happens there because the whole point is Saul really just wants to get back 
and he finds out that David, again, Saul has a great um, information um, um, group or whatever, intelligence group, so to speak, where he's able to find out pretty quickly where things are, and he finds out where David is, and then he develops, he brings along, again, his whole um, point and his his passion here. He assembles a powerful fighting force to be assured that he will have victory over his real enemy. To him, his real enemy is David. So verse two, he took 3,000 chosen men, chose them specifically for this category, for this point. He wants David all out of Israel. And they went to seek David and his men in front of the wilds, goats, rocks, or you might say the crags of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, when there was a cave. Now, all of this is couched in language. The narrator is giving us language of, um, as he's telling people where this is, he's talking, he's writing to people that still know where all these places are. We don't know where they are today. There was some well-known place near Angeti called the Crag of the Wild Goats, the Rock Pile of the Wild Goats. Don't have any idea why. But back, it's almost like this narrator, he does what most small town country folk do when you go into a town and you ask for directions and they say, oh, you go over to that red barn that way. And then you take a left and you'll have two stop signs and you stop there and then there'll be, there'll be the dairy farm on your right. And then, you know, all that. Well, that's kind of what he's doing here. He's saying, you guys know in Getty where the um, rock pile is of the wild goats, goats and there's the sheep pens there. And where the sheep pens are, there's this cave. That's where Saul was. So his original audience knew where this was. We're not quite so sure. But we're going to see here that this is another aspect where God is humiliating Saul. I've already talked with my boys on this. I'll just give you a heads up. No snickering boys. And they know that. But basically, at the end of this verse, we find I put this carefully. Saul needs to use the restroom. And um, King James Version says, cover his feet. A most vulnerable, humiliating place for Saul to be. And David and his men just happened to, just by chance, be sitting in the innermost parts of the same cave. Now, can you imagine David and his men having been pursued by a king? Their, Their lives have been turned upside down. They have faced so many hardships, been away from family, um, thought many times their lives were at stake. And all of a sudden, it's very apparent. Saul walks right into the same cave that they're in, and he is in a very vulnerable situation. And David's men must have just gone crazy with excitement. And you kind of get that a little bit here. The men of David said to him, David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you, David. This is the moment. This is, remember how God always said, and it doesn't, we don't know what they're referring to here. If they're referring to a specific promise that God gave David, probably not. They're probably referring to a general scriptural principle that God will deliver his people from their enemies. And they're looking at this and saying, David, this is it. He's going to deliver us. You can do basically whatever you want to do. Saul is at his most vulnerable. We can end all of this. We can take him out. We can go home. We can live normal lives again, David. It's wonderful. It has to be. And and, and 
Notice in a practical sense, this does seem to be God's will. Um, and they're taking some basic principles in their own minds that make sense. God, obvious, they, they definitely recognize God's hand here, right? And, oh, Lord, this is the Lord's hand. And so they're thinking, well, then it has to be that God wants us to take him out. But David is very careful here. Um, it seems to be the answer. God's promise of delivering his people's enemy into his hands. But here's the test for David. Will he act on what seems like God's sovereign will? He's right there. It, it seems like all, everything's set up for this without reviewing God's moral will, without reflecting on his word. Because, folks, here's something. Whenever we think in a situation that, and we're convinced by circumstances, understand me on this, when you're convinced by circumstances that something is God's will, and you haven't yet checked with God's word, don't act. Always check with God's word. Review God's word to make sure. And when David does this, then there is a specific thing, a way that he has to act in obedience. And we'll find that out in just a minute. So um, the, David's men are all excited. You've, here's your chance. And so David knows that he has to act. And so he does that. David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And I can just imagine David agrees to take action against Saul, and he alone stealthily creeps up to where the king is located. The men behind him are probably waiting in suspense. What's he going to do? Oh, is he, you know, how's he going to end his life? How's he going to kill him or whatever? And they're all talking, and shh, shh, be quiet. He's going to be found out. And David comes back, and, well, David, what'd you do? I got a corner of his robe. And they're all thinking, of all, you didn't kill him? What's going on here? Why didn't David do this? Well, there is something interesting. You, we might read this today and wonder, what? Of all the things, why did David cut off a piece of his robe? What? Of all the things that he could have done, why did he choose that? Was it just something he did on the spur of the moment? Actually, I want to read to you um, something, a description here from one of the commentators that I read. His last name is Bergen. And it really describes, this was actually a very meaningful thing that, that David did. It was full of meaning. And sometimes we may miss this. Why waste his time doing this? He says the act was far from meaningless because David's confiscation, his taking of a portion of the royal robe, signified the transfer of power from the house of Saul to the house of David. He was symbolizing, in fact, that Saul wasn't going to be king forever, and that David was now taking on the authority of that in one sense or another. And furthermore, by removing the corner of the robe, David made Saul's robe to be in a state literally of non-compliance with God's law with the Torah requirements. Thus, Saul's most obvious symbol of kingship was made unwearable. In essence, David had symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to the kingship. We don't often get that from that, but it was a specific, um, a, a thoughtful um, sign to Saul that God was with David and that Saul would not be king much longer. There's another aspect of this too, as I studied this. In this culture, 
taking a hem of a ranking official's garment that could be used as authentication in their absence. So this was almost like almost close to a form of identity theft, really. David could have used this and say, I have the authorization of the king. So there was multiple things here. And so when, when we see the next verse and we see David super, or very sensitive and bothered by what he did, there's all of this within the background. So he does this, but still at the same time, his, his men wanted much more than this. They wanted King Saul dead, and they're not going to be satisfied with this. But David is struck to the heart by the meaning of what he's done. Verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And the law was very clear that the Israelites needed to respect those that had been anointed in authority over them. And David knew that. But the men are all worked up. In verse 7, it says, so David persuaded or has the idea of rebuked. Really, the Hebrew word here has the idea of rebuked severely. This seems to indicate that his men were really fighting him on this. David, this is your chance. Stop fooling around with this and go kill him. And David, almost to the point maybe even of physically having to hold them back, says, we're not going to do this this way. And he rebuked his men with these words and did not permit them to attack. Saul. Sometimes leaders have to, in effect, um, fight the, the will even of those that they serve and they minister to when people think that a certain way is the right way, and yet they are mixed up in what the Bible has to say about it. And sometimes a leader has to take a stand in the midst of what a number, a lot of people would like him to do in order to be biblical. And that's really what's going on here. So David finally makes it clear, I'm not killing Saul. And Saul then rose up when he was finished and left the cave and went on his way. Still clueless to the danger that Saul's in, he leaves the cave. But David has required his men to follow God in obedience. And so David's on the right track here. But he's not going to let him get far, is he? Afterward, David also arose, verse 8, and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. So David now calls after him. And in this, he's boldly revealing his position. Now Saul and his armies, of course, Saul's a little separated from the armies. They were probably a distance away, giving him his privacy there. And yet David makes it clear. He kind of puts his people in jeopardy, letting Saul know where he is. And he calls out to him. So he's, there's enough distance here that Saul really has a hard time, it seems like, figuring out who's talking to him at first. But notice what, how David responds. The first thing he says are words of honor. And everything that he says at this point is spiritually wise. He has spiritual wisdom in his corner. Um, and the, this passage probably records the most words of both of these men in the entire book. A lot of conversation here. David first shows honor to the very person who wants him dead. He recognizes God in obedience, his need to honor his authority. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth. He's still paying homage, homage and honor to this king who has made life so miserable for him. 
This is not the actions of a man who wants the throne and who is, wants, um, wants Saul dead. He's humble before him. And then he gives, he very effectively, David makes a legal case here that I really want to take a few minutes and examine because David is very wise in his words. He's a wonderful example for us in how to handle a situation that's very um, critical and very stressful, um, difficult. And David now makes a legal case with Saul about why Saul should not pursue him anymore. And he says, verse 9, David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? I don't know if you've ever caught this before. But notice how David, with his words, is carefully avoiding implicating King Saul in this. While confronting the idea that he is disloyal and seeks to harm the king. Now, David's not being deceitful here. Okay, He's not saying, I know why you're really pursuing me, Saul, but let's just pretend like it's not you. And let's pretend like it's your, the, you have other influences so that... Um, so that I won't make you angry or upset. David is being very careful here that there is the possibility that Saul could be influenced by others. And so David, since he's unsure still of Saul's motivations, he's always going to put the best foot forward. In other words, he's going to hope for the best. He's going to hope for the best that King Saul, that it's not um, his idea um, that it's not his incentive in doing this, but it's people around him that's been talking him into this, that's been influencing him, and it's not really his fault. And so David says here, don't listen to those voices who say, I'm trying to hurt you. I'm trying to uh, become king in your stead, and I want, I want to steal the, the throne from you. Don't listen to those. And I'm going to give you um, proof and evidence of why you shouldn't. Verse 10. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hands in the cave. I'm about ready to give you evidence about how the Lord has saved you, Saul, from death. You were in my hand, and I did not reach out to kill you. He's basically saying, letting Saul know that, Saul, you were just in a position in this cave where I could have ended your life. And my men, I had a, big, a large group of people that wanted me to do that, Saul. And yet I didn't do it. I was careful. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you, has the idea of mine eye almost as I saw the situation, I decided to spare you. And here's why he decided to spare him. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Um, Exodus twenty two twenty eight 28 says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. David spared Saul's life, not because he wasn't tempted to want to kill him. I'm sure David thought in his mind, this would be so easy to just end all this, all the stress. But David knows God's word. And he knows that God says, don't strike or be disrespectful, or curse a ruler of your people, and many other scriptures. And David says, I can't disobey God. This would not be a part of God's will for me to disobey his commandments. 
And it's another good reminder to us, folks, if a certain way seems like it's the right way, and you think all these circumstances are leading me to do this, and yet as you study God's word, you see that it, it is against God's word, that you will have to disobey God's word in order to follow that path. It's the wrong path. It didn't matter how many of David's friends thought it was the right way. David said, no, this violates scripture. I cannot do this. This is not the right way. And he passed the test that God gave for him. He was more interested in obedience to God than to ease his own circumstances. And we have to be careful that sometimes we don't push ahead in trying to ease our own circumstances and try to make things more comfortable for us that in any situation where we're desperate, that we're willing to disobey God's clear word to do it. We can't do that. And David makes that clear as well. He will not do that. Not that he wasn't tempted to, but he won't disobey God's word. There's important lessons for us in this as well. Um, verse 11. See, my father, see the corner. Now he provides the evidence. David would have made a good lawyer. I think he's doing a good well arguing his own case here. The corner of your robe in my hand for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason or the King James says evil or transgression. I've not sinned. I'm not disloyal to you, Saul, because I could have killed you. And here's the evidence. And I did not. I have not sinned against you. Though you hunt my life to take it, Saul, uh, now he's kind of admonishing Saul. Saul, you need to stop pursuing me. I've not sinned. You're the one that's sinning against me. You're pursuing me. And yet it's not true. I'm loyal to you. I've done nothing wrong. And notice, folks, as well in this, that when David is right, and he knows that his actions are right, he will boldly proclaim those things. Sometimes in our culture today, there's even among Christians, there's a tendency to want to kind of back off, even though you know the truth. Now, now we all have times where, where we know we've done wrong and, and we've, we've, we've fallen, we've been deceptive, we've done things that are wrong. In those moments, we need to repent. But folks, there are some times where by God's grace, we do do the right thing. And we need to stand and be honest that I did do the right thing. And regardless of, sometimes we can be in situations where other people will accuse us of not doing the right thing because they heard something different or they thought something that wasn't right. And they may be very adamant that you did, that you did wrong. And if you're convinced and you know, according to God's word, that you're right, don't back down on that. You'd literally be lying if you didn't be bold with the truth. I believe there are circumstances where sometimes in our culture today, we kind of just to get along, well, okay, maybe I could have done this and maybe I could have, and we kind of act like we did something wrong in actuality, we didn't. And we needed those moments to, to stand strong as well, like David does here. He knows that he has done no wrong and he will tell Saul that very clearly. Um. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients says, as or he's saying here in our modern vernacular, as the old saying goes, King Saul, out of the wicked comes wickedness. He says there's a very practical saying out there that makes a lot of sense. Somebody does wicked to you. Somebody's trying to do evil against you. You are perfectly um, in the right 
to do evil back to them. And David says, that may make a lot of practical sense, but I'm still going to obey God, even though my situation, everything pointed to practically what I should have done was kill you. What was the reasonable response? And yet even with that, I'm going to obey God. And there's something else here too, folks. Sometimes there may be a certain thing in our lives, a certain direction that seems practical, that seems to be culturally the right thing to do. And yet if God's word still says, "Mm, don't do it, then it's not right. And David says, I didn't. My hand was not against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? And here he's really admonishing Saul's foolishness. He's saying, Saul, you've been foolish. You're wasting all these resources on one guy. And who am I? I'm a dead dog. And calling someone a dog was one of the worst things you could call somebody. I know we're dog lovers here in our society today, but if you called somebody a dog back in these times, that was one of the worst, the worst insults you could give someone. And David's saying, I'm just a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm a a parasite, right? I'm a blood-sucking parasite. Why are you so intent upon coming after me? Saul, this is foolishness. And Saul, I give my case to the Lord. And I I skipped a, a, a verse here. Look at verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hands shall not be against you. The Lord now gives this case over to God. He says, Saul, I'm not going to deal with you at all. I'm not going to lift a finger against you. God God has this, and God will deal with it. But in this, David is also soberly warning Saul, because he's saying, Saul, I know I'm right. And when God judges, he's going to judge me right. And that means he's going to deal with you. So you better get your act together, because God's about ready to deal with you. Because I know I've done right. Wow, can he be that bold? When you know you've done right, just boldly proclaim it. And David does that. And then verse 15, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence. Let the Lord decide between me and you. I'm giving it to the judge and see it and plead my cause or vindicate me and deliver me from your hand. God's got this. I'm not worried about it. He's going to take care of it, and he's going to deliver me in his own good time. Thus ends the defense. And what is Saul's response? Verse 16, and as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, there was no arguing. (laughs) He had an open and shut case. Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Because he realized He really was in a very, very vulnerable situation. David could have easily ended his life in humiliating circumstances too. When you've been humiliated and also at the point of losing your life, um, you, and you realize what God has saved you from in that instance, you can, we can tend to get very emotional and we should. God has delivered or saved Saul from death itself. And he is very emotional over this. And of course, emotionally, Saul's all over the board anyway. So we would expect this. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid or rewarded me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So Saul says, I realize that 
um, what I've been thinking all this time has been wrong. You've proven that to me, David, and, and effectively proven your case to me. And I repent before the Lord. I realize uh, that you have been right. You have been good. And I have not been. This is probably an incredible mission from this maniacal king. And then he says, so may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now Saul Saul turns into a prophet and says the same thing that Jonathan has said recently. I know, David, I can see in your character why God is going to make you king. And one day you are going to have this kingdom. You will be king. And David, when that happens, please make me a deal. And look how what he boldly says to David, the person he's been pursuing and making life miserable for months. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to this to Saul. And then Saul went home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. David still knew that he couldn't trust David or he couldn't trust Saul. And he went back into hiding with his men again. But here Saul knows and recognizes, David, you will one day be king. And will you please spare my family? Well, that's really an easy request because David's already promised Jonathan his best friend and that he would. And so he makes that pledge to Saul. You see how when David's faced with hatred and animosity and tribulation, when he's following after God, sweetness flows out. When he's following after God's wisdom, the right response, wise responses come out. Folks, if you ever, I'll just add this at the end here, as far as always being careful how we speak and how we talk. If you ever get into a conversation with me, and I sometimes may be fumbling for the right word at times, uh, when I was younger as a young man, I had a tendency to just kind of say whatever came to my mind, and that never put me in much good stead. (laughs) I learned a lot of times that was the worst way to communicate to people. And the more the Lord convicted me of that, the more I began to realize through passages like this and wisdom passages that it behooves me to take my time to carefully fashion my words, to make sure that first of all, I'm being clear. Second, that I'm not just jumping on something that I think is what happened without giving it consideration and carefully giving the person the benefit of the doubt. And even being careful that I'm accurate in what I'm saying. The Lord has put this on my heart for many years. So if you're talking with me, and sometimes I think it sounds like I'm stumbling around in my communication, it's because I'm trying to think, what is the best way to say this? Wise, like the words of David, like the words of Solomon, that um, I give people the benefit of the doubt and that people know that um, I'm carefully considering things. We ought to all be trying to do that, not just going on what somebody's opinion is or something we heard from somebody or something that we saw a circumstance and we know what that means when we see that person do that. No, no, pray about it. Seek God's word, his advice, and then speak carefully, carefully. David has example has some wonderful reminders for us in this. And as we go to prayer tonight, let's pray Let's give these things over to God like David did, realizing, God, you take our troubles. You take our tribulations. We're not going to be anxious and worried about these, but we're going to give them to you, and we know you will handle them. 
You're able to handle them far better than me. David knew that God was able to handle King Saul far better than he could. And let's have in faith present these things to him.